Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. As today we look at, again, one verse in this passage, this sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus didn't really give a name to it. He just sat down and began to teach his disciples. And as he taught those disciples, the crowds gathered around and heard these words. Matthew records for us probably what is more of an outline than a, the actual full text of that sermon, because this would only lasted a few minutes, uh, even reading it straight through, maybe five or ten. But the salient points that Jesus was making, Matthew has recorded for us and given us great insight into the heart and the mind of God. In, in this particular verse, verse 7, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You know, in our churches today, we sometimes confuse or sometimes make two words synonymous that have a lot in common, but they're not absolutely completely synonymous. That's the word mercy. And the word grace. We tend to tie those two together. And, and, and while they, they have a lot of close relationship, they are not interchangeable terms. They have a different meaning to them. For instance, mercy basically is, is compassion to people in need. Mercy is basically showing compassion to those who are hurting or those who have physical needs or those who have have something that we can help them with and we look upon them and we show them mercy and we do what we can to alleviate or to relieve the need that they have. The noun, elios, mercy, in the Greek text always deals with what we see of pain, misery, and distress. That is the results of sin. In every case, you know, we, and I'm not saying here that, that every time you see somebody hurting, it is a direct corollary to a sin they've committed, but every, every situation of pain, hurting, misery, unhappiness, whatever, is a result of sin. We'll talk about that tonight in the Truth Project somewhat when we talk about who is man, because we'll talk about being created in the image of God, the imago Deo, and then we'll talk about the fall and what were the results, what were the effects of the fall. And the effects of the fall were sin entered into the world and with sin came pain and misery and suffering and all the rest. So mercy is looking upon someone and seeking to, to relieve somewhat the, the, the results of sin. Grace, on the other hand, charis or charis, uh, in, the, in the New Testament Greek, always deals with the sin and the guilt itself. So mercy is extended toward the results of sin. Grace is extended toward the sin itself. And so that's why we say that we are sinners saved by grace. Grace is that act of God. We really can't extend that kind of grace. We can show mercy and we can show graciousness. But it's only God who really can extend the grace that we talk about in the full orb sense of the word in Scripture that brings about salvation and brings about a renewal and a relationship. In other words, the one extends relief, the other extends pardon. The one cures, heals, and helps, the other cleanses and reinstates. 
So it's important as we look at this particular beatitude in verse 7 that we remember and we, we uh, make the difference between grace and mercy. Because here Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who demonstrate. Blessed are those who show mercy. Mercy being loving actions toward those in misery. I, I think the best example of that in all of Scripture is found over in Luke chapter 10. And turn over there with me for just a minute because Jesus gave this as, a, as an illustration of pretty much what he's talking about here. Uh, Luke chapter 10 and verse 30 and following. We know this is the story of the Good Samaritan. We know this is the story of a man who extended mercy to one who was in need. He looked upon him. He had compassion for him. He extended mercy to him. He bound up his wounds. He took him to an end and, and paid there for his needs to be met while he continued on his journey. But the Good Samaritan was not the only one who passed that way. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, A man was going down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. and They stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance... A priest was coming along, one of the, the priests going no doubt to the temple to offer sacrifices, to offer, to offer offerings to God. And by chance a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. There was a priest, a representative of God, one who stands between man and God in the Judea, uh, Judaic system, who stands in the, in the place of God to intercede for the people. And he saw this man, and he passed on by. Now, he may have had a lot of good reasons or a lot of good excuses. He, he may have been on his way to a, to a service. He may have been on his way to offer a sacrifice. He may have been on his way to minister to someone that he knew and that had called for his help. I don't know why, but he looked on this person and didn't show compassion as he should have, and he passed by on the other side of the road. Well, likewise, a Levite also, a leader among the Jewish people, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Maybe he was afraid that if he touched this, the blood that this man obviously had all over his body, that he would become defiled and, and he could not go in and worship as he should until he'd gone through a whole system of purification in the laws of Judaism. I don't know. But he saw him and he, he looked at him and he knew he was hurting and he was half dead. And he went on the other side of the road and he passed on by. But a Samaritan... Just that word conjured up all sorts of thoughts to the disciples and those standing around. You remember one time they were passing through Samaritan, and James and John said, Lord, why don't you just let us call down fire on them? Just destroy them all right now. Because the Samaritans were a hated people. They, they were not looked upon with favor by the Jewish people. I mean, they were at best half-breeds to them. They, they, they were not Jewish. They were not fully Gentile. They had intermingled, and, and, and they had no use for them. And, and yet this Samaritan, this, this vile race of a person who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Wow. The priest passed on the other side. The Levite. Passed on the other side. Very religious people. The Samaritan, who wasn't even the same religion or the same race or the same people, felt compassion. 
and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I return, I'll repay you. And Jesus looks at his disciples and said, Now, tell me, which one of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? Proved to show mercy to the man who fell among the robber's hands. And he said, the, the lawyer said, actually, he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. If you've seen what mercy is all about, if you understand what the mercy of God is toward you, and if you understand what it means to be, to be in need and have your needs met, then go and do the same as the Samaritan. Not as the priest, not as the Levite, but as the Samaritan did. You know, I think sometimes we, we find religious excuses not to show mercy. I mean, sometimes they're really holy excuses, you know, pious excuses. Well, I... On my way to church, I don't have time to stop and help this person. I don't have time to, if I do, I'll be late for my Sunday school class. I'll be late for worship, any number of things. And I just don't have time to stop, so we just keep on going. Jesus is showing here, no, if you understand what it means to be shown mercy, and you have if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you'll understand what it means to show mercy to other people. If we know Christ... And I think that's what Jesus, again, back in the Beatitudes is talking about. Remember, he's not saying, this is how you get mercy. This is how you get salvation. This is how you get relationship with God. But in all of these Beatitudes, whether it's poor in spirit or mourning over your sin or meek before God and before others or hungering and thirst after righteousness or merciful, all of these are not ways to get with God. These are ways that demonstrate, these are character traits that demonstrate that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That you've been in the presence of God. And nothing, if we know Christ, we will never be too busy, I think Jesus is saying in that parable of the Good Samaritan. We'll never be too busy to show mercy. Hendrickson in his commentary on this beatitude said that mercy is possessing a forgiving spirit toward those who sin against them. In other words, mercy is not just seeing somebody on the side of the road hurting, but mercy is extending an attitude of, of forgiveness. Mercy is extending an attitude of, of acceptance to those even who sin against you. Now, I've got to be honest with you here. I've got to be honest with you. It's a whole lot easier for me to show compassion to somebody who's sick or hurt or in a financial need than to, than to show mercy to somebody who's sinned against me. That's, that's my defect, I realize, and I'm confessing something here that maybe is a little, little tender. But I, you know, it's a whole lot harder to show mercy to somebody who sins against you. And yet that's exactly what Jesus is saying here 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, understand this. I want you to see here, Jesus is not saying, hey, here's how you earn mercy. Here's how you earn favor with God by showing mercy, receive mercy. Really what he's saying is, what has happened here is that you have received the mercy of God, and as you show mercy, you'll know that mercy, and and sense of receiving a more mercy of God. there's There's a continuing effect here that comes out of knowing the mercy of God flows out of a relationship with him. The two most obvious examples you find in Scripture are are found in in Luke 23 when Jesus is hanging on the cross. And he's dying there and they're gambling below him and they're shouting taunts at him and they're saying, if you're really the Son of God, then then come down off the cross. If you, you saved others, you healed others, save yourself. Jesus looked toward the heavens and said, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. That was an attitude of mercy. Or even Stephen, as, as he was being stoned there in the book of Acts in chapter 7, he was being stoned by those because of no other reason than his faith in Jesus Christ. And, and as they stoned him, he said, Father, don't hold their sins against them. As he looked up into heaven. I mean, those are demonstrations of extreme acts of mercy. And forgiveness that so often we fail to see and understand and to do. Jesus stressed this characteristic on several occasions. Not only in the, in the Good Samaritan, not only in this passage in, in Matthew chapter 5. But later in this sermon, in this same sermon, when teaching on prayer, in verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 14, he's going to say, For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And there, he, he's talking about a sense of, of man, when we are forgiven, when, when God's grace has so encompassed our life, and we have been forgiven, and we have been shown mercy, that it is the natural thing to do, to extend mercy to others, to extend forgiveness to others. Even in his parable in in Matthew chapter 18, just a few chapters over from where we are now, when he gives the parable talking about forgiveness, and Peter came to him, you know, and said, well, Lord, this idea of forgiveness, that's important, but how, how often... Should we forgive our brother if they sin, sin against us? Should we, should we forgive him up to seven times? Peter was being magnanimous there. I mean, he was saying, Lord, I think I could go seven times. I think I could look at my brother if they hurt me and sin against me. I'll, I can forgive them seven times. Is that what you're saying, Lord? And Jesus said, no. Seven times, 70. You ought to forgive them. Now, I don't think Jesus was saying, mark it down 490 times, and when you've done it 490 times, you're done. You don't have to forgive any more. But rather, he was showing the, the, the perfection of forgiveness when we've been forgiven. He was showing that, 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 that our attitude of forgiveness flows out of God's attitude of forgiveness. Can you imagine if, if we were to say to God or God were to say to us, hey, listen, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to forgive you seven times. Seven times. I've got a feeling we would fall into despair. (laughs) I've got a feeling we'd say, well, Lord, could you stretch that just a few more? Help us out. 
Jesus said, no, 70 times 7. 70 times 7 you're to forgive. And then he gives another parable. He said, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. I love this story. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, understand 10,000 talents. A talent, one talent, uh, in that day was uh, worth about 15 years' wages. One talent was what a, a laborer would earn in 15 years. He owed him 10,000 talents. Now, figure that one out. He'd never repay that debt as a laborer, as a slave. He came to him, and since he did not have the means to repay, the Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children, and all that he had and repayment be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. <laughs> There's no way he could. No way he could. But he said he would. And the Lord of that slave... Hear this, same word that's used with the good Samaritan who saw the man by the side of the road. The Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Let's just imagine, it's probably even more than that, but in today's money, that this slave owed his master a million dollars. A million dollars. And he, he knew he could never repay it, and the, the master was going to sell him, and he fell down, and he begged him, Lord, please have mercy on me. That's what we do when we come to Christ. You know, we can never repay Christ. We can never repay God for our sin. It's an impossible thing. And so we fall before him and we say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, one who cannot make right all that is wrong. Excuse me, who cannot repay that which we owe. The grace of God, when extended, says, you're forgiven. You don't have to repay. You're forgiven. That's the way the slave was in this parable, and he felt great relief, I'm sure. Then verse 28, he's been forgiven of a million dollars. Fifteen years wages time 10,000. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, denarii, uh, uh, a denarii is, uh, was about a day's wages. So, he owed him, let's just say in today's terms, a day's wages is $100. So, he owed him $1,500. Now, he's just been get forgiven over a million dollars, but yet he goes out and he hunts down this sl other slave that owed him $1,500, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me, and I will repay you. Hey, same words. Same words. But he was unwilling. And he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, 
they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that he was owed. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. In other words, this, this servant was ungrateful. This servant didn't recognize the, the magnitude of what his master was offering him. He said, I will demand much less for my own good it's amazed me that the Apostle Paul said, we talked about this before, but the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesian Christians, he said, you know, love one another, forbear with one another, care for one another, walk with one another. And then he said, forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. And I've talked about how I wish that he left off that last part. Because Christ has forgiven us like the the Lord in this passage, in this parable, forgave that ungrateful servant. The Lord has forgiven us magnitude over magnitude of ways. And yet so often, we don't forgive one another, whether it's in a marriage, or with parents and children, or in the workplace, or in the church, or in our neighborhood, wherever. Paul says, forgive one another in the same way that Christ has forgiven you. You've been forgiven your millions. Be sure you forgive your thousands. That's what he's saying. This virtue, this, this blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This virtue of mercy grows out of our personal experience of the mercy and the grace of God. It's not something that's natural to us. It's not something we do because we're good folks. No, sin has filled our hearts. The fall has, has wrecked our ethics. The fall has, has permeated every bit of our being. That's why the theological term, we are totally depraved. Doesn't mean we're as bad as we could be. We could all be worse, no doubt. But it means that sin has affected every aspect of our life. It's affected our social life, our mental life, the way we think. It's affected our relationships with others. It's, it's permeated every bit of our being, even our physical life. I mean, we're, we're ill, we're sick, we, we have pain because of the fall. Totally depraved. Completely run through with the effects of the fall. So naturally, we don't forgive. Naturally, we don't show mercy. Unless it's somebody that we really like. I mean, you know, you would have thought the priest or the Levite one would have, would have shown mercy toward that, that guy on the road. He was one of them. I mean, if you're... If you're child is hurting, you, you can naturally show mercy because that's a part of you. That's a part of your life. But 
But to see somebody else that's different from you and has nothing to give back, can't do anything for you, and to show mercy there only comes out of a personal experience, a personal relationship with the mercy and the grace of God. You see, nothing moves us to show mercy and forgive others like the wonderful knowledge that we ourselves have been forgiven and shown mercy. Nothing moves us like that. Nothing, nothing else pushes us to do it. But once you've come to that recognition, once you've come to that realization, once you know the power of forgiveness, the power of grace, the power of Christ in your life that has cleansed you and has restored you to a relationship that was broken in the fall, it ought to drive us. It ought to push us. It ought to, it ought to compel us to show mercy, to show compassion, to touch others' lives. It's out of that relationship that genuine mercy can flow. And honestly, how in the world, if we know Christ, can we ever be too busy to show mercy? How can we ever come up with excuses? How can we ever come up with just, oh, I just don't have time for that? If we've been shown the mercy and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Jesus in these Beatitudes now is starting to, he's made a change. He's making a transition here in those first three. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin. Blessed are the meek or the gentle. He's talking there about our standing before God and gazing upon the face of God and seeing the greatness of God and how we come into His presence. We come broken, mourning, and meek. Then last week he talked about how blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. The transition starts to turn. He says, you know, when you're made alive, when you're brought back from the dead, when you're called forth from the grave like Lazarus was, then you have a spiritual hunger and you have a spiritual thirst. That's a reality for the person who really is alive in Christ. They hunger and thirst after God's righteousness. The righteousness of Christ. The Word of God. The relationship, the passion, the communion with God. There's a turn from standing before God to what is taking place in our own life of hungry and thirsty. And now it begins to show itself in an outward expression. In showing mercy to those who are in pain and misery and distress. What are you going to do if you're going home today? And you see somebody broke down on the side of the road and they don't look just like you. Are you going to say, man, the pot roast is burning? Are you going to say, uh, you probably won't say, but I might say, man, Alabama's playing at noon. Getting beat at noon. But I want to see it. What are you going to let get in the way of showing mercy in the same way that you have been shown mercy? What's going to be your excuse? 
Jesus is saying, when you, when you know the grace and the mercy, the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ, it will be a natural, a, nat, a supernatural thing. Not a natural, but a supernatural thing. That will flow through your life and into the lives of others. Let's pray. You know that song we sang just before the sermon? A debtor to mercy alone? <laughs> we are a debtor to mercy. And the way we we don't pay back the mercy. We never can. But the way we express gratitude for that mercy that we are a debtor to in Jesus Christ is by showing that mercy to others. We come with the righteousness of Christ on. We come knowing that the law will never touch us because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Paul said, I'm a debtor to, I'm a debtor to the world. The way, I, the way I demonstrate that debt that I'm a debtor because of the grace of God is by sharing the gospel. By telling people that the only way to a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. The only way to be made right and righteous is by the power of Christ and the power of the cross. The only way to be made alive is to be called from the dead by Christ himself. And when you are, there's an expression and a living out of a demonstration that what Christ has done in your life, you will share in the lives of others as best you can. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. What is the motivation? What he's done in our life. What he's shown to us in our life. Father, have your way right now. Do your work in our lives by your Holy Spirit. Draw us close to you and show us your presence, O Lord. Father, I pray you draw men and women to yourself, perhaps for salvation this morning, that you would open their eyes to see their need for the Savior, to see their sin. And then give them life in Christ. Father, I pray for others you're leading to be a part of this church family. That Lord, at this time they'd be obedient to your call and make that known. Father, I pray for all of us that we would respond to your mercy with mercy. Thank you, Father. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.